Hi, this is Dr. Lee Piccarello inviting you to tune in to The Head Game, a must-listen show for athletes and coaches of all levels and ages. Mindful Athlete Training in Newtown, Pennsylvania is a mental circuit training program that prepares the athletes to perform at the highest level of today's game. Athletes get into the zone faster and stay there longer. Head Games! It's you and me, baby! Head Games! And I can't take it anymore! Head Games! I don't want to play the Head Games! Oh, we're playing Head Games, and we're going to be playing into OT. That's the name of the game, and leading the way, he's got the ball, Dr. Lee Piccarillo and Jess Ferdinand. Thank you, Foxy. You win the flip, you get the uh, you get to go on offense. Heads, That's not fair. <laughs> Heads. See what I did there? Seniority. I got it. <laughs> I got it. Did you? By the way, did you see the, the the clip? They they played it on Twitter of the the uh, it was some overtime game in which the 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 team. Called heads. Oh, they messed that up. They, oh. me- they messed it up. They yeah. messed it up. <laughs> I think he called heads, or he no, he said tails, and the guy, the referee, said he calls heads. I think he called Ted Ted's. Maybe <laughs> that's what he did. Somewhere in the middle, heads, tails. That's a good move to call Ted's. It's Ted's. about it's about in the middle. <laughs> yeah. But there was there was that clarification for a while because there was a big faux pas a number of yeah. years back. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? You it was a thanks- that? Thanksgiving Day in in uh, was it Detroit? Was it it's Steelers? Detroit? It's always Detroit. Jer- Jerome Bettis going for hey, Thanksgiving. Hey, I, hey I, he couldn't make his case. <laughs> the craziest things happen in Detroit on Thanksgiving. I, I swear, do. some of the more most exciting games go down there. There's well, something about. Well, how about last night's? Did All you right. watch last night? Cleveland Pittsburgh. Yeah, I did not, but of course I caught the highlights and I caught the big story. <laughs> yep. Interesting. I, I'm going to go off on that a little bit later as a, okay. form, as a former defensive player. But today's topic, our discussion, is all about overtime mentality mm-hmm. until the whistle blows. And we're going to get into some discussion about what, what really happens to the mind of the athlete in overtime. You think of the, the premise where you run out and you're going to play one more period, but then take it one step further when it's double, triple overtime and this, this momentum, this electricity continues to, to, to build. It's really the, the theatrical stage that we all hope for, but we really struggle at times to endure because of the stress and the tension that it builds. Can these athletes actually prepare for an overtime challenge or is something that it's so rare and it's uncharted territory that you simply have to do the best that you can when it arrives um how does overtime impact the fans and how will they watch how does it uh get inside of us Uh, what's the visceral reaction that we have is it someone that uh, can't look at all? We've all seen those people in the stands that have their head down. It's just too stressful to bear. And why does it seem that some teams score a little bit more easily when there's little or no time left, when they've struggled perhaps the whole second half or the whole end of the game? But when there's that time crunch, the sense of urgency changes. Does overtime lead to the hero or the goat status? And what is it about these athletes in regulation versus overtime and how the pace of play changes what they do? But before we get into all of that, we're going to do a little morning mindful news with our own Jessica Ferdinand. Thank you. You're welcome. So I think that our Monday night 
division rivalry game kind of set in motion this overtime topic. And I just couldn't help myself, like we were talking about before, to just kind of highlight what happened. So going into it, the 49ers were actually, I think they were undefeated. Yes. Um, and the Seahawks weren't doing too bad themselves. So was, we thought it was going to be a good game. So just to recap, um, it ended up going into overtime. Um, Russell Wilson has this crazy 18-yard run, if you guys remember, um, which set up a game-winning field goal. And then attempt by Jason Myers on the final play of the game. And then the Seahawks looked like they had won the game. And then Wilson threw his second interception of the season in overtime. Long story short, they end up winning. And that's interesting to me. So I looked further into Russell Wilson, which we've been talking about for a few kind of months now. Because Russell Wilson's really heavy social media. And he, he just... He's not afraid to say I've had a mental strength coach since before I got drafted, and it's been he's been with him through this entire time. He's actually on the sidelines with him. He considers him a best friend, and he's part of his performance team. His name's Trevor Mowid. Mm-hmm. I might be saying his name wrong. And what's interesting about them is they he highlights neutral thinking, which I think is interesting to keep that in mind while we're doing this discussion. Yeah, Neutral thinking with overtime, because that's what ended up happening here. He threw his second interception, I think if you believe in anything momentum, you would think that the 49ers are going to win. Yes. But to understand what neutral thinking is, um, Trevor explains that he realized what learning was that learning how to be less negative was more powerful than being more positive, and positive thinking requires a change of mindset that's too fast for most people, so they give up. And positive language doesn't always resonate in skeptical ears. So he taught the concepts around non-negativity, and then eventually he came to the idea of neutral thinking and neutral behavior, which is a recognition that the past has happened, but the past isn't predictive. Your next behavior is predictive. So, but, what do you think about that? I, I think <laughs> there's that, a lot of well, there, 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 there's a lot there, right? There's a lot of meat on the bone, but I think at the the, the end of the day. I mean, I think Trevor's position, he's gone on record to say that he's been working with Russell Wilson for about 10 years. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think anything that you're working on for that length of time always has a natural evolution. When you even think about our, our own mindful athlete training when we first conceived the idea and how we've evolved since then, you continue to make small tweaks all along the way. And this, this uh, line of neutrality... Um, Trevor explains it as, you know, kind of like analogous to using the clutch and, and putting your car into gear. Very often, you only can go from one gear to the next, especially when you've stopped by returning to neutral first. So it's really a, it's a mental position that he's encouraging his performers to take that allows you to don't see anything as truly positive or negative. Um, he also goes on to say that, and I've mentioned this uh, in past discussions here on the show, that his core emphasis is all about keeping things simple for people to perform at their best. So while he's acknowledged things like positive thinking and mindfulness, uh, he makes comments on his social media that really are more about a cleaner line, a cleaner approach that keeps things simple for the athletes. So I think neutrality, after it takes some time to get your teeth into it, you can really start to embody that and work it and make it more of your own. 
Yeah, it's such an interesting perspective for me. Like when I was watching Russell Wilson, so he throws an interception, and I think applying the neutral thinking, he's not thinking too positive, like, okay, I'm going to come out and I'm going to you know, make up for that, or too negative, like the game's over. He's kind of sitting in this neutral spot where he's like, okay, I threw an interception. I have this amount of time left in the game. Right. The other thing you need to consider, too, is that, and, and most people do not know this, and I know it because we've just done a lot of research as to where and how mental skills training uh, ends up at the professional level. Pete Carroll mm-hmm. is also a huge advocate of mental skills training. Pete Carroll has partnered with a Dr. Michael Gervais, who has a research team available to him at the University of Southern California. And Dr. Michael Gervais has been talking for many years. He and Pete Carroll have started their own business as well. So when you think about an organization and really the rarity of mental skills and mental strength being present at the highest levels, you've got the head coach and you've got the quarterback that not only are endorsing mental skills approaches and how to live with more mental skill application, but they've also partnered with mental skill professionals in starting their own businesses, right? So it's completely infused in their culture. And I think to the credit of the Seahawks, it's things like that that really speaks to consistency over time. Yeah. It's no surprise that when Russell throws that pick, that he's running off the field pretty much... uh, as positive as possible. Yeah. And you saw, if you go back and you watch that tape, Pete Carroll is is gathering up the defense. And he's a, he's a very enthusiastic coach on the field. Nothing ever really phases him. Or some other things might not phase coaches as well, but they're not showing it. Or as Pete Carroll is making it abundantly clear that nothing really phases him. Uh, and we can talk later in the show, Pete Carroll his going on record about the decision to throw the ball in the Super Bowl versus the Patriots, which many have criticized him for, and his decision to do that, and if he had to do it again, that he would do it the same way, and so on and so forth. So it's really about those types of things as they come in more and more to how athletes and coaches are thinking about this essence of their game. Uh, It's the mindset because, you know, our discussion today is all about the overtime mindset. What is it about pressure that encourages a different state of mind? Why is it that we think we should think differently? Is that something that just is a, is a natural conclusion that we make? Is that encouraged by the intensity of the moment? Some people feel that they should just act differently because it's overtime. Some people will say, no, 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 no. We need to do exactly what it took to get to overtime while we're playing overtime. It's very much a, a playoff mentality. Mm-hmm. People will say, you know, win or go home, go for the throat, don't hesitate, no fear. That's often preached and it's coached, but something happens once the overtime begins. Because it's such rarefied air for these performers, you never really know what you're going to get. Yeah, it's also a different, it's a whole different ball game once it starts because a lot of people can think, okay, the score is 0-0 zero, zero now. You have this like clean head, you know, there's whoever wins, wins. Like you have this whole game. But then I watch, so this is football, and then I watch the NBA, and I think last year there was four overtimes with the Nuggets versus I forget who. 
And that was like a, a historic game. I think the NBA over time is much more um, common. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know statistically how often it I happens. I did have I actually had statistics before I did the Seahawks. <laughs> but it doesn't it doesn't necessarily seem to phase the professional basketball players as much. I think, you know, maybe it's the way that it's set up. You know, in, in football, you, the captains go back out. There's another coin, coin toss. Mm. It's a, it's a, it's a yeah. game after the game. It's, the, the, the stakes are completely different, right? Now we're in for all the marbles. But there's no difference between overtime in hockey, in baseball. Is that analogous to extra innings, Foxy? Uh, not really, uh, because I think because uh, baseball is different. You don't have the same starting pitchers in. You have, don't really have the same teams out yeah. there in, in the 10th inning that you have mm-hmm. in the first. Whereas basketball, you can substitute getting it back in. You can duplicate what you did in a regular time. In baseball, it's a totally different cast. And you don't really prepare for it. They, Nate Evaldi went six innings in a game against the Dodgers in the World Series, and it was 17 innings. They didn't have an answer. No right. chance. Yeah, so so yeah. you've got to make it up as you go along. As it relates to different sports, I, I think um, so much is about how the sports are played. And it also has a lot to do with the way that the rules are set up. What's different about NBA overtime than a regular game? Nothing. It's just more play. It's yeah. just a, it's a, it's it's not a full quarter. I think it's half. Now, what what would change exactly? I was trying to figure it out with the NFL. It's now it's su- it used to be sudden death, and now it's now now it's if you win the toss yeah. and the the team that gets the ball, if they go down and score a touchdown, it's, it's over, over. Which I don't agree with at yeah. all. Yeah. Uh, if you go down and kick a field goal, or or obviously you punt it away, then if you kick a field goal, the other team has the opportunity to possess the ball and do something with it. Mm-hmm. Right, and there's been a lot of controversy on all of the ESPN Hot Topic radio shows about um, who's our friend. I don't know. He loves Philadelphia. He's always has hot takes. He thinks that it should be that they should change NFL to like college overtime. Right. Well, I I think those types of overtimes are more exciting. Yeah. But as as Foxy mentioned before the top of the hour, that can be seen by some as a little bit more contrived because the ball is getting placed at different parts of the field. You're yeah. not earning that mm. field position as much. Um, but it's definitely more exciting. I don't think the field placement would work well at all at the NFL level. I think what needs to l- take a, a hard look at is if you're going to play an extra quarter, just play it like a regular football game. I don't like the rules of how they're put in place because when it's overtime, let's just extend the time and just have them play more of the same game. But speaking of time, it's a quarter past the hour. Now we go we go we go a 60 full minutes every week, week in and week out. But when it's when it, when it spills into extra time, when it's time to go OT, there's only one guy that I want on my team, and that's John Kalinowski. Coach, good morning. It's KPA. It's Coach Cal's Corner. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? I'm good, man. Uh, we're getting a little heated. We're trying to get a little yeah. a little something extra this morning in our step. Um, Jess is all fired up. She's she's oh she's got her she's got her laptop. So she's, aggressive. She's making volume changes on the the headphones. She's she's ready to go, man. You got to get her slinging some iron, brother. When she's out there Thursday night, she got to help me out. She's o- she's always welcome. She's always welcome to stick around and, and bang with us. 
So our discussion he today... Carrying, he might be carrying this uh, aggression over from last night, though. That's I what I mean. What happened, what, what happened last night? What, what went down? Well, we're just doing great stuff, as you know. Uh, you know, both uh, mental athlete training and, and KPA. But last night, we did a little too much movement and core training, I believe, for some of our athletes. They were very disappointed that they couldn't take time to... Uh, work on their mental game. Ah. And and the reason why I bring that up is um, when we talked a, a very long time ago on the radio about the the value of the holistic approach and how we need to start with our younger population to make this part of what they view as this is part of my training. I need this. This is what I do to get better. Yes. Um, I think we have reached that point um, where they know that this is part of what they need to do. And they, some of them didn't get a chance to do it last night, and they were disappointed. Now, they are actually disappointed now that they didn't do their mental training. Right. So uh, I think we have, I think we have uh, reached a success point now where it has become uh, commonplace, and they know that this is part of what they have to do to become great. Right. You know what I think is, is, is I just kind of gave myself a note. You know what we should do, Cal, is that we should put together a little five-question KPA athlete survey as to the types of things that they would like to improve regarding their mental game to kind of get more of that open dialogue and open discussion going and then actually give the people what they want to put it in so many terms. So now it's more about them contributing to their own workout plan, you know, to empower them a little bit. So I just gave myself a little note. (laughs) That's good. One of the things, after we do our physical assessment with the athletes, we obviously sit down, discuss the results, and then talk to them about what their observations were, what their coaches' observations or feedback was, and also their parents with regard to what they need to develop on. So basically what I'm saying is, why are you here? What do we need to to, do to make you the best you can be? I think that would be something great also right at that point. Even for those that may not um, have been exposed to it yet, um, I could add that as part of my uh, assessment and final consultation with them before they start their, their training with yeah, them. Yeah, so even if they, they have no background, no knowledge yeah. base, I think yeah. it's all about, as we've said many, many times, normalizing the type of training to, to make it yeah. more clear this is simply what we do. And yeah. this, this is available, whether you're partaking in it or not, it's going on in the back. So get on board. Hop on the bus, Gus. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. You'll you'll uh, you'll also be happy to know that um, the director of the internship program for the exercise science program from TCNJ was in last night. Oh, and um, the first thing I did was send him back to observe what was going on with uh, Jess and, and your intern, and uh, he was very very impressed. He goes, "I've never seen any program that integrated something like this," and I explained to him why we do what we do and the whole approach and stuff, and he said. This is going to make these kids so much better than the other kids that just focus on skills or just focus on getting bigger, faster, stronger. Right. I think you're 100% right. So the, so the College of New Jersey, the old Trenton State, the old Trenton State, the Teachers College. Yeah, the old Trenton State. I played, I played, for you. I played a Friday night football. My only Friday night light game I've ever played Fall of 1985 against St. Pius X at the old Trenton State, Pennington versus 
St. Pius X. And I overthrew Don Sabino on a backside chair route, and he was wide stinking open. And I was so nervous that I didn't want to tank it. I did. There. Thank thank you for bringing back that trauma, Coach Cal. Uh, Let's just say I was bringing you back to the topic of today. How about that? Uh, You know what? uh, I wish that game would have gone over time. I would have potentially (laughs) had the opportunity to redeem myself. So our discussion, Cal, is about the the overtime mentality. Um, You know, until the whistle blows. So what what do you think happens to the, the mind of the athlete in overtime, Cal, in your experience? I think it depends on the individual, as we've always been saying that you know many of the things we talk about have an individual uh, perception and individual impact, and there are some that are just straight up gamers and they're very confident in their ability. They've honed their craft um, and they perform very well, you know, in, in overtime. There are others that may have doubts about themselves or maybe um, don't know how to control their anxiety or. Um, channel that anxiety into a, a, an outstanding performance. Um, those that also, you know, they don't put the time in to, to hone their skill. So when it comes down to crunch time, uh, they may have doubts in, in the back of their mind, or they may be thinking about things that uh, they were not able to do correctly, rather than staying in their zone, staying in that flow state that we've been talking about. Uh, so I think it's very individualized. It depends on your training. It depends on your preparation, um, and for those that uh, you know have been lacking in each one of those components—the mental training, physical training, skill training, and, and strategy—they're uh, the ones that are the greatest deficit. Because I think you know those are the ones that are going to be you know doubting themselves or doubting their ability or creating anxiety that they can't control to optimize their performance. You know, when we coach Cal, we we are always encouraging our athletes, stay within yourself, right? What is it about overtime that you think culturally encourages the be the hero or don't be the goat status? Like you think about the kicker or you think about the quarterback or you think about uh, uh, a defensive player who's got to step up and make a big play. What do you think it is about that time crunch that changes how we perceive what we can or should do? I think many athletes are driven uh, by the idea or the perception of, uh, of being able to be that goat, like you said, or, or be that hero. Um, I think it's one of the things that helps some athletes become as successful as they are. But I personally don't like to have my athletes think that way, especially in an overtime situation, really in any situation, but especially in an overtime situation. I want them to have confidence. I want them to realize that we can do this and to just continue to do what we've been doing. Um, you know, have, uh, have faith in your coaches, have faith in your teammates, have faith in yourself. Let's just go out and do what we need to do. I think if you are thinking about being the hero, I think if you're thinking about being the GOAT, now you're not in your zone anymore. You're, now you're distracting yourself. So I, I don't necessarily think it's a good thing. I think it's a great way for a, a kicker to shank a kick. I think it's a great way for a quarterback to uh, throw that backside pass a little too short or a little mm. too far. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm a big believer, in, as you have always been um, preaching, about being in that flow state, staying in your zone. I think if you think about, um, like I said, being that hero, 
now you're not really there. You know, you're, you're thinking too much. Let's just go do our thing. You're not present, right? You're, you're thinking yeah. more about the outcome, which makes mm-hmm. you less focused on the process, which we right. all know actually encourages more mistakes. So right. when, I, when I was coaching for LMFA, for Lower Makefield Football Association, I had a little ritual that I would do at the end of every practice with our offense. We would run gassers. How we would end up practice, as many coaches do, and I would get them to a point of pretty significant exhaustion, and then I would have them run the two-minute drill, completely tapped out. And we always had four plays that we would run back to back to back to back. So I'm trying to simulate a higher sense of urgency coupled with exhaustion which in my own mind is how I might be able to get the pressurized moment of end of game trapped in a bottle that I can now release with the team so they have some sense of what that feeling might be like. Cal, as it relates to overtime, and we watch sometimes mistakes that athletes make or or the way in which athletes rise up and do something jaw-dropping what it is what do you think it is about the mental state of these athletes of these performers really that can take their game to a next level i think it's a combination of things that you you know we have both already brought up um you have some individuals that you are physically conditioned and physically trained to handle that situation. And the reason why I start with that is because when you are physically challenged, as you had done in in your practice, how you concluded your practice, it's easy to make mental mistakes if you're not prepared for it because you're physically exhausted. Sometimes it's because you're thinking about how tired you are or how slow you feel like you're moving. Um, But I think from that standpoint, that's one issue. And I think what you did with the kids was outstanding because – now you're making that practice situation that much harder so that not only are they prepared for a game situation, but games should be easy now compared to what you had just put them through. Um, but they're, that's a perfect example of where that physical mental tie comes in. Um, can you play tired? Can we count on you when you're exhausted? Um, in the overtime situation, it's one, physical. Number two, it's, it's mental. Are you mentally drained? Have you had so much endorphins and other hormones that have been um, you know, pumping through your veins all game? Are you now still ready to perform at that level, or now is your body trying to get those levels back to a normal level? Um, and again, some of that comes with your physical conditioning, but a lot of it also comes with uh, your mental training. You know, how do you control that anxiety? How do you channel that anxiety? Are you making yourself overstimulated? Um, you know. Some guys that do not go to professionals like you and Jeff will watch things on YouTube or they'll have a coach that uses fit lights or uses breathing and doesn't really understand how to apply it or how to um, have the individual find what works best for them. And they will not be as successful at controlling it. And they may cause themselves to relax too much. Whereas with a professional like yourself, you can help these individuals identify what works best for them. And again, that's part of their training. Um, so I think it's that combination of the physical, the mental training, as well as the individual's personality as they approach those situations. Um, you know, you got to go out there and do your thing. 
You've been doing it for how many years on the same field with the same ball, you know, basically with the, you know similar strategies. Let's just go out there and do our thing. Let's not overcomplicate it. When you think about overtime, Cal, and you think about how it impacts the fans and how we watch and what it sort of brings out in us, sometimes it's the best, sometimes it's the worst. You're, in your personal experience, what is it about when we watch this human drama unfold that it takes us as fans to that different place? Yeah, I mean, if, if you're if you're a true fan of, of a sport, when I mean, you get that overtime or you get extra innings, um, you, you're pretty stoked about it because you're getting more of what you love. You're getting more of what you're passionate about. And, again, it puts you mentally as a fan into that overdrive gear. You know, it's very exciting. It's very emotional for you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things that, you know, gets you pretty jazzed up and, it could also cause you to react uh, more strongly with uh, you know the term depending on what the outcome is. Cal, when I say OT, when I say OT, share with me where your head goes, how your heart pumps, and how you experience that thrill. I get when when I think of overtime or you say OT, I, right away I get excited. I can feel you know my my heartbeat getting faster. I can, I can feel you know the, the the blood pumping into my veins. I, I just I want to play again. When I when I think of overtime, it just gets me excited. When I think of the playoffs, it gets me excited. Um, so you know, as a fan, as a coach, um, it does get the adrenaline pumping. Um, when I take a step back and take a deep breath, I also think we should have been able to do this without overtime because we want to make sure that we can count on everybody at that next you know next step. But uh, yeah. Uh, I like overtime. I, I, I like uh, I like free baseball. I like free football. Whatever you want to call it. Love it. So, Cal, final thoughts, man. Overtime, the mentality. Overtime mentality should be very similar for an athlete to the first half and second half of a game. Don't overthink it. Don't overcomplicate it. Do your thing. And if you're not confident in that overtime, you have to take a step back on Monday not at the game situation, and figure out why were you not as confident, why were you not as effective. And you need to focus on those things. Again, as we've been saying, you can't always just do what you're good at because then you don't get any better. You have to focus on the things that you're not as proficient at and continue to work on those. And it comes down to your skill training, your physical training, your mental training, and also strategy. When you can work on those four things and perfect those four things, you're going to be the best that you can be in the first half, the second half, and overtime of games. Love it, brother. My man. Love it. Thanks so much. Coach John Kalinowski, for your passion and your wisdom. Have a good week, Coach, and we'll talk to you next time. The head game goes OT today. That's right. We don't hurry, but we are quick. Dr. Lee, Piccarello, and Jess Ferdinand, pick it up now. I feel like we need to do push-ups. Well, I, will, I you didn't see yeah. what I was doing? No, I saw what you what were doing. What was I doing? You were doing, I don't like one-handed air push-ups. One, one arm. <laughs> uh, one arm. One-handed, one arm. No, no, you're, you're jumping rope. I was I was, I was was doing yeah. the Rocky thing. You need a manager. Yeah, when a you manager. think of overtime, you just, you started doing one-handed push-ups. <laughs> it's all about OT. I mean, if you, you got to get the, well, if your blood isn't pumping for OT, there's a problem.
Let's just come out and say yeah. that. Let's establish that. I think that. of like the slow motion. Yeah, there's no mental plan that can help you if your blood isn't pumping in OT. Because that to me is more about just picking up what everyone else is putting down. But I think that's what can spill over for people. It's how they interpret their environment. It's the messages that we then say to ourselves. It's that inner dialogue. It's the little chat that we have with ourselves of when we feel that rise in heart rate, when we feel some body tension. If we code it as bad, then we call it anxiety, and then we become more fearful of it. But if we embrace it, if we see it as something more positive, then we put it in a, this is energy. This is something to get excited about. This means my body is ready. And there's some experts mm-hmm. that have talked about this. Roy Hobbs over there. That's right. Yeah. Roy Hobbs. Right. Good call, Foxy. I like it. This clip is not for Roy Hobbs, by the way. I just want to kind of go out and establish that. Foxy, let's go to number three. Um, this is a gentleman named Simon Sinek, and he is talking about training your mind to perform and react under pressure. I was watching the Olympics, this last summer Olympics, and I was amazed at how bad the questions were that the reporters would ask all the athletes. And almost always, they asked the same question, whether they were about to uh, compete or after they competed. Were you nervous? Right? And to a T, all the athletes went, no. Right? (laughs) And what I realized is it's not that they're not nervous, it's their interpretation of what's happening in their bodies. I mean, what, what happens when you're nervous, right? Your heart rate starts to go, you're, you know, you sort of get a little tense, you get a little sweaty, right? You, you have expectation of what's coming, and we interpret that as, I'm nervous. Now, what's the interpretation of excited? Your heart rate starts to go, you become, you're anticipating what's coming, right? You get a little sort of like tense. It's all the same thing. It's the same stimuli, except these athletes, these these Olympic quality athletes have learned to interpret the stimuli that the rest of us would say is nervous as excited. They all say the same thing. No, I'm not nervous. I'm excited. Are you nervous or excited? Excited. <laughs> Why? See, it's my... Perter- my. Why well, I, I can't say the word. It's okay. Perception. Your perception. I was going to say my... Per- I don't even know what I was going to say. My, I thought you perception. were going with interpretation. I, I think I was, I was I think, combining I think you perception and interpretation <laughs> and perception. Try and say that word, by the it's way. That's com- it's interpretation. Like, or interception. <laughs> that's what I was saying. Right? Oh. How about that? Yeah. Mm. Turning, that's maybe where your, your head and your heart really is. I feel football. like I was really going to say something interesting, and I just ruined it. But I now, did have a question, But though. now you're sharing how your own experience is evolving, which for some listeners may be even more valuable than the knowledge you thought you were going to share. Yes. Well, my question that I came across was, he's explaining how you have two different individuals, kind of. You have these Olympic athletes who um, consider their those feelings that are essentially the same between being an anxious or excited it's the exact same it's the same feeling so why why do you think some people interpret it naturally as excitement versus nerves is that what determines an elite player from a normal player i think it's one factor that can determine right i think it's also the ability to what we're really talking about is arousal we're talking about physiological arousal. 
specifically change in heart rate, change in breathing, change in muscle tension. That's the stimulus that mm. Simon yeah. is speaking of. It's the interpretation of those things that are activated by where we are, what we do. Um, at the tail end of what he's saying, they go on to talk about how different athletes respond to the stimulus and then how they behave. And the example they gave was was Michael Phelps in the Olympics when he was sitting with his hoodie up and he had his, his earbuds in and he, has, he, he had the, a furrowed brow and he was very, he almost looked angry. He was completely focused. And the other goofball, I think from South Africa, the swimmer, was up kind of <laughs> shadow boxing to try to get himself yeah. going. A lot of people remember that clip. And he was doing it in front of Michael yeah. Phelps. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's right? bold. <laughs> to, try, to try to somehow, some way, you know, out-psych him. Right, which was a big mistake because I think Michael Phelps, well, I know he did, just yeah. absolutely smashed him in the event. But but my point is, is you think you look at that behavior and say that's a bit odd. But really, what that athlete is doing is channeling their own arousal into something that they feel is going to work for them. Yeah, and culturally speaking, when you look at that, you'd think, wow, the. The swimmer from South Africa is ready to go. What is Michael Phelps doing? Yes. Well, that's, that's interesting, right? Because if you're that type of person that needs to be up and animated and kind of in your face, you think about coaching styles. You think about how those coaching styles are impacting their players in an event like overtime. Like, here's just let's just play a little name game. What coach do you want coaching your team in overtime? Don't think. Bill Belichick. Why? He's calm, cool, and collected. He looks that way. He does. He does. We he don't know. We don't know any emotions. Nothing. We don't know what's going on, right? He's probably thinking like a good chess player, nine moves ahead. Mm -hmm. That's probably what's going on, which is why he looks so flat, so yeah. stoic, right? Yeah. But that's the coach that stereotypically we say that's the guy that we want in charge because nothing phases him. His arousal is never high. It's it's never low but that's not true based on what he's really feeling he's learned through experience through a ton of success and failure that that presentation probably gets the best from his players when you look at the philly special moment on the sideline with our very own doug peterson and he looks into the eyes of Nick Foles when Nick makes the suggestion. He's doing that quick, look at me. Yes, you're confident. Pulse check. Bang. Yeah, let's do it. There's that little moment. But it's really about how they're interpreting the intensity of that moment, how they're managing it, which then allows them to execute. Yeah. What's also interesting about this is I, I thought right to the Mindful Athlete Training Lab with HRV. When you're training athletes, you can I think it's fun to look at the numbers and say, here's what your heart rate is. You know, like you're feeling this way, but here's the, you know, you can really 
really teach somebody because of you're able to actually see what's going on inside the body. That's an excellent observation. And what we call that is giving those athletes a real-time snapshot of what their body is doing. Here's another thing that I just thought of. The example that I gave with Peterson and Foles was not in overtime. No. But it was on fourth down. It wasn't the Super Bowl. It wasn't the Super Bowl, but it was on fourth down near the end of the half. And you hear that, you know, the, the entire shows that have now been sculpted around what is the Philly special and how it evolves. You hear announcers talking about the bold, daring move that the Philadelphia Eagles are about to engage in. They're going to go for it on fourth down. And if they are successful, it's it's brilliant. But if they fail, yeah. it's 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 a blunder. They should have taken the third three points. It's going to come back to haunt them. So fourth down is almost the next best thing to overtime versus regular season play or downs one through three. And speaking on the experience, like Bill Belichick, um, Doug Peterson typically goes on fourth down a lot yes so he's felt he felt comfortable doing that so he had a lot of confidence and it's interesting how when Nick Foles came over they didn't really say much no they just like they just knew like by whatever was going on well in they were eyes. a bit they were they were you're right they were they were very much connected yeah he said Philly special they and he's were, like yeah yeah they, they were they were kind of in the same headspace there which is interesting yes you want that. You kind of want that symbiosis. You want yeah, that. What connection. happens when you both are in the same focused mindset? Well, you 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 you, 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 you natu- naturally increase the likelihood of that flow, right? A flow state is only really achieved through becoming more aware of your physiology in high emotional moments. Mm-hmm. High intensity is a variable that is present for flow to be achieved. It's very well documented by a gentleman named Mihai Chixin Mihai. Oh, I you like his name. <laughs> I like his name. I like to say his name. He is a 40-plus-year flow researcher, Holocaust survivor, who looks at optimal performance, the management of physiological arousal and what is needed. These are the key elements of the overtime mentality without it even being written down it's the it's the the secret family recipe that's handed down from family member to family member that everyone just kind of knows how to do it how to prepare it those things are taught those things are discussed behind closed doors not in january and february but in july and august it's more about the mentality of the players that slowly but surely developed. Foxy, let's go to number two. This is about optimal levels of arousal and that overtime pressure and why some athletes rise or fail. In important moments when we feel the pressure, an increase in our level of anxiety can narrow our attention to the point where we miss relevant, important information. For example, After a lot of practice, the skill of shooting in basketball has become an automatic process for elite basketball players. However, in times of pressure and increased anxiety, a player's attention can narrow to a point where they think too hard about the movement rather than letting it flow automatically. Instead of focusing their attention on where they want to shoot the ball, their attention narrows to consciously direct their limbs to shoot the ball, which disrupts the automatic process. 
The goal then is to find an optimal level of anxiety, one in which we are not too relaxed and distract by irrelevant information, and one in which we are not too anxious that our attention narrows to the point where we miss important information. When we're missing important information, let me kind of break that down. Uh, a lot of that should sound familiar mm-hmm. because that's what we do, right? The attention narrowing has much to do with what we'll just call tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. But what happens is the anxiety, the, the environment, the, the, the madness of the moment gets so high that our focus gets so small, we miss very important details, I think that would come naturally <clears throat> that you wouldn't like do consciously. Yes, involuntarily. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. It just it just happens. But that's the why why involuntary is such a key word, Jess, is because that's what's happening because of the arousal. And that's what this gentleman is referring to as the automatic process. Yeah. Where you're just not thinking. My my favorite clip regarding shooting the basketball and effortless performance was Michael Jordan's 63-point performance where he refers to the size of the basket being a a peach basket. And, 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 And he's not thinking it's just more effortless. It's the shrug of the shoulders to the to the bench after he makes yet another three pointer as he's kind of jogging back on defense. It's almost unconscious for him. Yeah, it's the same as when a baseball player hits a home run. They're like the ball was this was very small and my bat was like a big. Yes. Know, paddle like there's like I couldn't miss it. Like, yeah, you it's get the it old Bugs zone. Bunny. Yeah, um, with the what was the name of that baseball team that Bugs Bunny played? Gashouse Gorillas. Thank man. you, Gashouse Gorillas. <laughs> Foxy always comes through for me when he goes and he chops down a tree. Yeah, and he's using a tree as a bat against Bugs Bunny. So that's using your tunnel vision in the right way. Correct. Right. Because well, hold on. If we're going to call it tunnel vision, it's really what you're doing is you're managing you're managing the arousal, arousal. Yeah. And that's what we're talking about as far as the overtime mentality. There is a management that's going on. Mm-hmm. There's a management between mind and body. It's it's what the it's what many people describe as athletes don't let the moment get too big. It's what Russell Wilson is calling neutrality. You don't identify identify something as positive or negative. It's what we've said in the past of be where your feet are. Trying to stay in that moment. And, And as much as Trevor is making it abundantly clear that mindfulness has value, but yet it's too abstract and therefore too difficult for athletes to really get their head wrapped around, the concept of neutrality is emphasizing the very same thing that successful mindful application does, which is being in the moment and not judging the experiences. That's what they're calling neutrality. Now, I feel like looking back now at the Sixers past seasons with Markel Fultz, I feel as if this is kind of what he was doing in the wrong way. He Explain. was focusing. I, I still don't, I mean, I'm sure that I could be wrong, and I, I didn't really look into it, but I, I don't know. I didn't really buy he was a one of the 0.4% who had thoracic something, something, something right. syndrome. Um, I think that he, this is like his mind literally 
took over for a whole season and he couldn't get out of it because he was so focused on every single little part of his shot, which, you know, shooting a basketball, you don't do that. If you mess up one little tweak of it, if you don't follow through, it's not going in. And he's thinking about every single stage of that shot, which is like unheard of. You're discussing the concept of locus of control because when your locus of control, your perspective is one of more personal ownership, it's internal. When you give up control to an outside source, like a medical diagnosis, a professional trainer, a coach, a supervisor, a mentor, now you're mentally affording more flexibility to feel victimized. Yeah. And and that's the relationship between something that may have physically gone on for faults, but mentally he gave away so much control. Yeah. That he became victimized by that entire situation. And not to mention, he's starting this year with the Magic. They just beat us. Yeah. <laughs> actually. So, I mean, I don't know how syndromes work, but it's over, apparently. He figured it out. Right. Well, again, I think to your point, where there's smoke, there's fire. And there was certainly smoke when he was here. And really knowing the depth of... What was the the ratio of mental versus physical? We may never know. Yeah. But there was certainly a relationship. As much as we talk about the mind-body connection and those dynamics, the holistic approach that Cal mentioned earlier, that we're emphasizing more and more with younger athletes. I just read an article online about how mental skills... Uh, a, a doctor, a performance psychologist somewhere is writing more and more articles about how mental skills not only uh, should be emphasized at a younger level, it's easier to teach because they're more malleable. They're more receptive to the notion. It's like studying a foreign language. Mm-hmm. What's the success rate on? Why is it that the majority of the world can speak a host of other languages? versus their own, versus the United States? Well, to start, um, I think their parents speak different languages, and also they're, they're, they're learning the languages as they grow up. Right. Like, literally, what's one? Is they, they're, they're, one is in three different languages. It's being introduced earlier. Yeah. Whether their parents are, are, are bi or trilingual, whether it's being emphasized in school, the rest of the world assigns value to a host of different language acquisition earlier in life. Mm-hmm. We wait too long. It's too late. Let me rephrase. Now, all of the, all of the lingu- linguistic companies, please don't drop us as sponsors because <laughs> I said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sorry. So many, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They're they're lining up. You, yeah. you didn't see the. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Linguist yeah. and mental strength. <laughs> yeah. Because what it because what uh, was it Rosetta Stone would say is that it's never too late. My point is this. Let me rephrase. Let me retract that statement. What I'm saying is it's more difficult the later that we wait mm. to acquire a new language because. 
there's other things that we're focused on. If you get in there early, think about what we've discussed regarding neuroplasticity and the brain's ability to be plastic and adapt and build new roads to process new information. While it can be done over the course of a lifetime, which is really, really good news as we get older, we're still the best at it when we're young. Yes. And speaking on that, if I'm just going to go back to Markel Foltz, if he did reinforce this at a young age, now the time comes where his shot may have maybe his nerves are taking over and it's kind of distracting his shooting flow. He's been there before. He understands what to do. You know, practice makes perfect with everything, but he's never been there before. He's never had that type of pressure. He was at a small school where he was the best. Now he's in a big town where he's like the small fish, (laughs) and his shot's kind of being messed up a little bit. As it relates to our discussion of overtime mentality, Mm -hmm. what happened with Fultz when he was here, in my opinion, was the pressure of going to the NBA encouraged that he tried to change his shot which mentally got in his head. He then struggled with the new form, and the media was all over it. Now his response to the change that he knows he brought on himself creates a mountain of anxiety, fear of failure, and pressure to perform, which then, if anything physical is going on, that stress and tension worsens the physical condition, which we all know about the psychophysiological principle. The brain and the body are constantly talking to each other, which became insurmountable for him. He became a person who was victimized by learned helplessness. There's nothing I can do to help myself. I'm victimized by this situation. It's Now it's safer to say, I'm injured, which hopefully takes the pressure off. And as soon as he left here, and he left the stressful environment behind him, if there was something physically going on, it's now a mental respite to genuinely heal, recover, and start again. Literally, a breath of fresh air. And that's why he's operating functioning on full cylinders do i really look like a guy with a plan (laughs) is that the joker how about that Hmm. yeah i gotta see that new movie by the way i did you it's uh for a clinical thinker it's pretty intense is that what i am a clinical thinker i don't know but you know (laughs) you might be (laughs) when you it's so um abnormal psychology based it's crazy yeah I, I saw I saw a few snippets, and I also saw that De Niro is in it, doing a, a little snippet. Oh, yeah, yeah. He plays some talk yep, show host or he something. Does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a funny scene. Actually, I saw that. It's not a funny scene. You'll see what I'm talking about. Then you'll think I'm crazy. Right. <laughs> that I said it was funny. You're not crazy, Jess. Thank you. You're 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 my normal. Hmm. And now, Dr. Lee's mindful athlete minute. Brought to you by Volvo Country with locations in Princeton, Bridgewater, and Edison. It's overtime. The docudrama that's come to real life. It's heart palpitations, shrieks, fist pumps, and oxygen tanks. It's where legends are made and stories are written. It's the backyard fantasy that we have all imagined, that we all dream of. It happens so rarely that it's larger than life, and if we are fortunate enough to partake in one of these rarest sports spectacles, 
it's sure to travel to the top of our lists, for it's the overtime mentality that draws us in, asking for more. The truth is, OT is the brightest of stars on the biggest of stages, where our heroes build statues and name streets. But it's the state of mind that is the access code for these athletes. It unlocks their persistence, maximizes potential, and peaks their performance in the most crucial of times. It's clarity in the midst of chaos, where the sun sets for one as it rises for the other. We all get to play a part in this drama, some more lengthy than others, but all ending on the same note. Overtime is the best of times. I do believe it's true. Overtime is the worst of times. Rumor has it, it's the end of paradise. Some rain, some shine. Our memories will last a lifetime. Now take the best, forget the rest. My name is Dr. Lee Piccarello, and that's my Mindful Athlete Minute.